Welcome to episode 23 of Constructing Comics, a comic podcast building comic stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we are going to discuss Autumn Lands, Volume 1, Tooth and Claw, and we're going to have a little bit of shop talk with Vince Paishan, our special guest. Autumn Lands was created by Kurt Busiak as the writer, Ben Dewey on art, Jordi Belair on colors, and John Rosho on letters. Uh, this is our spoiler alert for the first trade of Autumn Lands, collecting issues one through six of the series. So if you don't want to be spoiled, pause the show and come back after you've read the first volume. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Noah, as always. And we also have, like I said, we have a special guest. We have Vince. Vince, since you uh, picked this uh, volume um, of the of Autumn Lands, why don't you lead us off with some of your initial thoughts? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I just feel like this is one of the most unique uh, fantasy stories that I've read in a really long time. It melds really interesting aspects of science fiction in with traditional fantasy and uh, stuff is stuff like magic using and just really, really clever character designs, uh, world building, um, super intricate world building, um, dealing with things varying from religion to politics and just subcultures. Um, I think the the most interesting thing to me after I actually just reread this um, again a couple days ago and one of the things that I didn't really pick up on was just kind of like they uh, they the the right Kurt Busiek seems to be tackling a lot of um, how people deal with history and how we kind of fan it like we we create like uh, fantastical ideas of like what history is for us or what the, what these characters like interpret their history to be when they're talking about the the champion, for example, they kind of expected this champion to be a much more um, idealistic representation of a hero for them. And it, they ended up getting something that was um, completely kind of uh, the antithesis of that. So, um, and it was something that was written about in their legends and in all of their lore. There was, and it was something that people had, that their people had experienced a long time ago and it was a story that got passed down, but the story got so diluted just by being passed down over just generations and generations that it, um, the truth was lost. And when they are met with the truth, it's, it's a very like difficult for, thing for them to kind of swallow. All of the characters seem to have a really hard time believing that this person that they had pulled out of whatever dimension he, he comes from is actually like their their, their, their chosen hero. And I just think that's really interesting. So if that makes any sense, sorry, I kind of like rambled there for a little bit, but no, uh, no. Yeah. I I caught on that my second time through as well, because there's this, and also reading the second volume where they expound on that as well. I know we're only talking about the first volume, but the series expounds on that idea of their unlike almost the unreliable narrator of history basically. And, it's really cool because this series is prefaced each issue by like a different historian's take on this mm-hmm. time with like the yeah. painting like done by a different illustrator. And it's always like the most dramatic and unrealistic interpretation of what actually went down. Yeah. And the, it, yeah, I feel like the, in the beginnings of the chapters are like there, it's a picturesque kind of quality that yeah. is, yeah, it's very, sto- it's, it's very like, um, just classic kind of uh, fantasy story uh, like images. And it's really, I, I don't know. And I love that kind of stuff. So. Um, well, yeah, I love Kurt Busiek's writing also. And again, we talk about like the use of language and how it's sort of, how you can characterize different characters by how they speak. And everybody sort of has this like traditional way of speaking, but then when the champion shows up, like he's dropping F bombs all over the place yeah. and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And it's like the most ugly thing in the world. And he's just like, he comes out like covered in blood and stuff like that. And it's, yeah, it's, there's like, there's a level of the script and there's a level of the art where it's like, the art itself has this, like, it's got this beautiful quality inside the pages. Like it's got this great watercolor-esque sort of feel to it. But then like, it'll, it's like really textured as well. So that like helps with like the colors at times. So it'll be like really beautiful and textured and then it'll be like really gross and textured um, yeah. in contrast with like the beautiful paintings as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, just uh, touching on the just touch touching on the texture of the artwork is um, I, I definitely feel like the the colors are all very vibrant. Everything is super, like all the lines are very thick and it, it has like a very painterly sort of quality to it, which is very engrossing as you read the as you read it. It's like really it's actually really, really hard to it's hard to like <laughs> to get through it, get through this book very quickly just because you, you yeah. become very you become very uh, focused on all of the artwork, which is incredible. It's some of some of my favorite some of my favorite favorite illustrations and color work that I've ever seen um, in comics. So um, it, I can I can imagine it's definitely worth the wait if you're waiting on this like monthly or if you were waiting on this monthly. Like you knew like yeah, I, it's worth waiting because you want Dewey and Busick to really flesh out this world and their art in it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it's 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 a very fleshed out world and the artwork shows that all the way through and the writing yeah. too. It's, it's a very balanced book. And it's also different for Belair as far as colors because normally she works in very flat tones when she's working with like more textured artists like on Moon Knight or something like that. With oh like yeah. Shalvi yeah. or, Bel uh, or um, Smallwood. Like it's sort of, it's more flat, but she actually sort of branches out from that and you see a lot more like gradient meshes and more textured colors in there um, underneath Dewey's, uh, like I think he uses ink wash and, uh, yeah. and ink as well. So it's, it's, de yeah. it's definitely a, like a very textured world all around. Yeah, especially when they're uh, um, summoning the champion, that, that yes. ceremony where, yeah, it's, especially when we were just talking about like the gradient, the gradients, um, yeah, it's just like splashes of color everywhere. And uh, it's not like, it's not overwhelming or tacky. It's just, it's beautiful to look at. Um, and yeah, that's just something that kind of, uh, um, it, it, it kind of stretches out throughout the entire book. Um, you just get these incredible panels of, especially when the city crashes, the, Oh yeah. When the, when the sky, I, I just love, there's like this great, uh, there's this great illustration of like the sound effect that the city makes. Yes. Like, as it, mm -hmm. And it, it, it's just like, yeah, it's, that one. yeah, that, yeah. It's just like solid, like, it's like solid lettering which i just thought was a really interesting uh touch so yeah um and so to delve into the story a little bit um uh when we start off there's a lot of uh you know trade guilds and um like ceremonies that everybody's doing um and uh, and then we sort of move into to where the champion um comes in um which is sort of a radical shift in the story. What, what do you think about the, the, the first couple of issues um, before the champion shows up? Um, I just think it's a great, it's a great, uh, it's a great setup for what the world is like, because you really kind of don't get, um, it's actually kind of incredible how much they packed in, in those first couple of issues without it seeming uh, like too dense and like not really interesting to read. Mm -hmm. um because they talk about like the 30 i guess it's like the 31 different gods that they have and um and they talk about just like the history of the traders and like the like the use of magic in in the world and you get a very you get a very clear understanding of how they use magic and like there's you also get th there's a very nuanced way of describing like the class system that exists between the sky cities and the bison the bison tribes below and you um immediately pick up on the fact that maybe like we're not we're not necessarily getting the story from uh like the best uh uh protagonist in the world mm -hmm. just because yeah. th th these these are people that clearly are looking down on like people that live on the land and you, that first interaction that we see between um uh what's his uh, the the English uh, terrier, pit terrier, um, the main character. Um, Dusty? Dan, Dan, yeah, Dusty. Um, his father, when they go, when they go to, to trade with the bison tribe and he essentially rips them off for doing, they did, they did more work than, the, than the, what they typically do and he doesn't pay them a full wage for it. And he just, he just kind of treats them like they're, they're like nothing essentially. And mm -hmm. he, uh, he casts that spell and like injures their leader. And it's just, you start, you start to have kind of like, um, you don't really, 
you have sympathy for the bison tribe, but you don't really see a lot from their perspective, especially like even later on in the book, you don't really see that much um, about like their way of life. You just kind of know that they're, they're just kind of subjugated to be to ser to servitude to the, to the sky, the sky, the sky cities. Yeah. And you get why the con you get the conflict though, immediately from that interaction between dusty, his dad and the bison. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a great, it's a great tool to have, you know, it's always great to have a, a tool where you learn about the world through someone who's new to the world. So the champion becomes that in a way, but also you get to learn about the world through dusty as well, because he's so young and full of imagination and yeah, he's the naive. one who asks questions. Yeah. He's naive. Mm -hmm. He's impressionable, so everything is making an impact on him. It's also great to see like how like their religion, their magic is just so baked into their day-to-day -day routine. You know, so that's a great way of setting up the story, setting up the world. Um, with like how Dusty goes and turns off the lamps, but before he does it, he has to pray and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, my yeah. I guess he comes back and he prays, but yeah, it's uh it's a great way, it's it is a great setup at the beginning. Um um, Matt, what do you think of the like the the like the like literal and like figurative use of the of the castle in the sky, like them, like classic, like being an above class, but also literally being above them. Yeah, no, that was that was a that was a pretty awesome um, way to do it. It's uh, you know, it's as we've discussed, we have we have a class system, but in in you know, with people on top, and this is you know, these are literally people on top of on others as they, as they hover above them in the sky. Um, I have a question here. Um, by using different races of animals, do, do you think there's any sort of commentary on um, like real world um, events, uh, you know, in, in our world? Um, I actually was, I was thinking about that as well. And I almost feel like the, I, I think that the decision to use animals as like to represent these different characters is to show kind of like the arbitrary nature between like races and like how like all these all these creatures seem to be pretty much unified um, despite the fact that there there's literally hundreds and hundreds and thousands of different kinds of species that are all kind of like living together mm -hmm. and you never really seen, I never really got the, the feeling that they were judging each other based off of what they look like or um, what kind of, what kind of species they were. It was more kind of like, um, it was more, it was more based off of like your status as in, in, in like, there was, it seemed like there was more social commentary on status, like social mm -hmm. status. Yeah. So, um, especially like in that, uh, there, the, there's a, the meeting that they have at the very beginning um, where Gartha is um, essentially telling everybody that they have to summon the, the champion in order to save the city and to restore magic into the world. Um, and uh, I think it was Sandor or S Sand, the, the owl yeah. is just constantly going on about how, how low she is in regards to like where she rests on the, on like the, the wizard totem pole mm -hmm. and how they all kind of, everybody kind of falls in line but behind the decision of the uh, of talent the eagle the eagle uh, wizard who's i guess first first chair of the council or something like that and like his word is just kind of like law everybody's just like oh this person is holding this seat in 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 um in our society so we all have to kind of like listen to what he has to say um but yeah i, I didn't really i didn't honestly think that there was any sort of uh anybody really had any problem or made any sort of judgment on what anybody looked like just because everybody looks weird, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. everybody kind of is just, yeah. I mean, everybody's crazy looking. So. And I, I would think? say, I would say maybe like the, the one thing, like, I mean, there are the, the ground dwellers, which are like the bison. And in the second volume, you find out that the other people who live on the ground are like the sheep and the goats. So it's like, grass and like field animals and stuff mm -hmm. like that but i'm wondering if that's supposed to be like maybe that's just sort of like how we see like as like the dumb masses as being like normally like uh, like alluded to as being like sheep or cattle grazers or something like that you know or like mm. cattle almost uh 
or like you know buffalo are sort of the symbol of like the wild uh like i don't know maybe savage or savage in nature maybe i don't know uh hmm. I, like i'm wondering about that like if there's maybe a direct comparison there and then i'm wondering also with with um uh, with garda being a a will like a, a warthog like her being sort of a field sort of like a grazed oh, like animal a good point. as well yeah she has more to prove because she's sort of a field dweller animal as well yeah but i think it, but i kind of i think i'm agreeing with you more that there's more of a it's not so much a race thing as it is sort of what we as a culture sort of symbolically like how we qualify like i guess like you know like animals aren't sort of like i mean they can be sermon like new new known as like a derogatory or or like a you know a complimentary thing um if, uh, regarding race and stuff like that but i don't think it's like uh it's not like how mouse is you know where like in yeah. mouse like there are direct comparisons to the animals and stuff like that mm -hmm. i think this is more about like maybe more about uh class and um and like almost as you read it's sort of more about education as well yeah. so like you have the the people who are like you know we normally consider people who are dumb to be sort of like sheep or like cattle that kind of thing like easily led astray and all that jazz um so i'm wondering if there's more of a comparison there than it is like a race thing so you know depending on where you're from of course you can sort of interpret that whatever way you want to but i think it's more like i think it's trying to make a point about like education what do you think matt mm. though no i think uh, i think those are some really some really great points um you know uh a lot of times uh when we look at people unfortunately sort of the 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 position they hold with maybe their with their job or, or something like that is is um a lot of like first impressions we we, we get with the people so uh, i feel like there could be a lot with with that which we mm -hmm. which we've discussed and yeah. even to the champion they kind of have a the, that's the one where it's like almost like the direct like human interest story right there is like when you sort of like start seeing him through dusty's eyes you mm. know like he can't interpret his actions because sometimes he's being really selfless and other times he's clearly being selfish you know and you can never interpret like this guy a good guy just a bad guy but that's sort of like humanity in essence you know yeah mm -hmm. so he's like he is the direct like representation of humanity um when he comes in like there's no perfect example because he exemplifies the worst and best of us yeah and he also yeah. he he also automatically assumes that he's 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 smarter and better than every everybody exactly. else that he's dealing with yeah he um, just immediately assumes he's surrounded by idiots yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well let's yeah. uh let's dive into the to the champion a little bit um he shows up and uh he he you know he's thrust into the action uh, but then after a little bit, we get uh, we get some some glimpses or some some possibilities to um, where he came from. Um, uh, and those aren't answered in, in the first trade. Um, how do you think that was handled in the, in the comic? Uh, I thought it was pretty awesome. I mean, it kind of just leaves you. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of just kind of like leaving those big gaping holes of like when are we going to get an answer for a lot of this stuff? Cause I feel like they do trickle certain things in that mm -hmm. kind of allude to the fact that he clearly comes from, uh, he clearly comes from somewhere that is vastly technologically advanced and, um, is, I, I almost wonder if he actually came from earth, like if he came from some sort of like uh, futuristic earth or something like that. But, um, yeah, I thought that that was really cool how they, they were just kind of like, they're not really telling you everything, but they kind of show you everything just by like, you see him interacting with like certain aspects of his person, like his, his own character. Like he has that, he has that, um, that visor that's implanted in his head that like allows yeah. him to like, it allows him to kind of, uh, just take readings and like, um, gather information and knowledge on the environment and like the different people that the different creatures that he's interacting with. Um, yeah, I thought that that was handled pretty well. Um, and, you know, Kurt Busiek is, he's really, really good at, at, at working towards like the long game. So he start like, he has like this character that clearly has a lot going on with them and he's not really 
he's not telling you everything all at once. And it, it just like, and yeah. And in this, in the next trade, you, you do learn a little bit more about him. So um, yeah, I think, it, I think it's good. But also, you know, with Kurt Busick, you have that like reliability, at least when I've read him, you know, he knows the answers to these mm-hmm. things. Yeah. You know, definitely. that's sort of, that's the faith. I mean, can you agree with me, Matt? Like, like you've probably read more Busick than I have. Uh, but like he knows like where this is going eventually. He's a guy with a plan. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, and I, I think what's, what's probably, uh, well, here's a comparison. Like uh, a lot of like uh, Claremont uh, X-Men, uh, he would sort of have these like dangling uh, plot points that maybe answered, you know, 10, 12 issues later. And some of them were, were, were never answered, but definitely I, I would, I, I have faith that, that, that these were, these are going to be answered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We just got to get him back to it. That's all it is yeah. him to finish this, this story. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love the technology that he has. Like, I like that. He's sort of, I like the, the mystery that they're, the question that they pose throughout the issue is how much of the magic is related to science Mm-hmm. that maybe was morphed into the the uh like the the just like the world itself like into nature yeah. so like what they interpret as magic he sort of is trying to find the science behind it yeah you know like he sort of seems to know and uh they they reveal in this one that magic has no effect on him because uh doesn't sandhorse try to blast him at some point it doesn't yeah. work yeah and uh there's there's that aspect too where it's like okay there is something to this magic and him being out of time and having this technology inside him that like and they're they're both related somehow this magic and his science or maybe even the world that he comes from somehow yeah. the ma- the magic that they have comes from wherever this world is this wherever it is that the champion comes from and that's um, what that's what Garda and uh, and Dusty's father believed as well. So that like the book is leading to it being like everybody sort of thinks the champion is like, I mean, that by the end of this Garda and uh, Sandor's definitely are like, no, this guy's useless. But the story is slowly unraveling like, oh no, actually Garda and all the original wizards were probably right about this guy. He does hold the secret to restoring magic to the land yeah but it's maybe or, not magic it's probably science of some yeah sort. well yeah or maybe even the, but the magic that they get is just like the scraps like from yes the, te- the technology that they build in whatever world the champion is from yeah and, or if it was like a nuclear war it's like it might be like a, a fallout like yeah. effect on nature or something like that yeah yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the Terminator style flashbacks as well. Yeah. Like, I like how there's like, there's like, just like blends. desolate wastelands. Yes. <laughs> like it's, tundra. Yeah. yeah, the tundra and also battling machines yeah. and stuff like that. I love the like the tripods on this, like that one spread at the beginning of the issue with the flashbacks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the first um, time I, yeah, the first time I read this and I saw that. I, it was definitely like a what the heck like it was a very because <laughs> you're reading like this very high fantasy uh story and then it immediately like cuts you into this like very uh intense kind of uh sci-fi world which i just thought was and it's done so seamlessly that it, yeah. it, it isn't it isn't like tacky or uh it doesn't seem weird or out of place it, it definitely seems like the the the, the right the right um, direction to go in it was just very like it's a very and it's a very beautiful spread too like that battle scene of like that dude wearing that helmet with a bunch of lights on it and like yeah you see like all these giant like tripod tanks with huge laser cannons and it's really cool yeah i like it and also there are there are plants in here and i won't reveal them because we're just going over this 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 issue but there are plants in that spread that come back in the second trade um mm-hmm. where it's like okay that's uh, like you can sort of read the second trade and be like okay that's what that was referencing in that image but also there's a, a mural of the champion at the beginning oh. of the book with uh-huh. like oh, he's fighting off the giant bugs and that comes into play in the next in the next trade as well and i was like holy crap like this, yeah like they there's a definite like larger scheme here between uh dewey and Busick, like like having all these like yeah. watchmen level detail 
where like they're building this larger narrative and it's not just something where they're just writing yeah. it as they go. Like it's, there's something like they're definitely building not only a incredibly detailed fantasy realm, but also an incredibly detailed like Terminator-esque <laughs> post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic uh, sci-fi realm yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. So much going on here. So exciting. Oh, oh uh, just, just a um, real quick thought. Uh, what did you guys think of how, um, how every single um, like species had, they, they all had a story about the champion re re like resembling what they look like. I just yeah. thought that that was, I thought that that was really cool. I just, just a very clever kind of way of uh, kind of jabbing at how, um, I don't know, we as human beings have like assumed like with our own gods, like, like, mm -hmm. like Judeo-Christianity, oh. for example, like God, God is represented yeah. as like a man, like God is a man. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just think that's interesting. And I mean, you can definitely see like, there's definitely been writings about religion for thousands of years that have kind of um, talked about how like, if, if human beings were horses, then God would be a horse, you know? I just yeah. think that's a really, I just thought that that was a really interesting um, little world building gem to throw in there. Yeah, it's so relatable too. And that's so, that's sort of what makes us so related. We can relate to these animals so well is because they do the exact same stuff that we do yeah as a society so like me i just read over that because i was like oh yeah of course logically but never drawing that real world association where i was like oh yeah jesus does have blonde hair and blue eyes that kind of thing you know that kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff like it's basically that logic where it's like oh yeah so that that might also play into the the race uh aspect of things or maybe how it how this relates to the larger human condition with all this um with all this stuff so yeah i love that that's a great that's a great uh, writing tool. What do you think, Matt? No, definitely. That's uh, that's that was that's very interesting. I I didn't pick up on that at first, but uh, that that was a that's that's very interesting. Oh, and then yeah. just uh, you, you were just saying how uh, like Jesus, like Jesus having blonde hair and blue eyes, like the the like the representation of Jesus has probably changed as a character throughout yeah. history, mm -hmm. and like it, you kind of see that in this story where they where they're they're just like talking about this champion and like this myth. It's probably something that had gone through like hundreds of different variations and later they just happened to everybody is on like this page of the story right now. And yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I just think it's, it's very, very smartly written. Um, and it's, well, it's not pretentious. It's just very, no. very honest and, and very well written. But that's sort of Busiek in his in his way of writing because he did something very similar with that in um, in Marvels. If you've ever read that, no, I haven't. Uh, read Marvels. And that's sort of one of his seminal graphic novels, and it's mm -hmm. like, um, and that one he goes through like it's all from the perspective of this photographer, but like the photographer lives through the golden through silver age of Marvel comics. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's all like, like straight adaptations of each, like of the like Kirby, Ditko, Basima stuff, like with Stan Lee yeah. writing. And, uh, but as it goes through the, the guy like starts out with this like optimistic view of these superheroes. But mm -hmm. by the end, he's like, I'm so fed up with these superheroes <laughs> and stuff like that. Like, like they're not being, making anything better. <laughs> and it's like, but at the same time, it like flaw, like it seamlessly flows through. So I think that might be a writer, a writer trademark is to have sort of this deconstruction of the, of the myth of the savior, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, at least what I've read of Busick and actually his most recent um, Batman graphic novel, which I don't even know if he's come out with the last issue of that. It's the same thing. Yeah. Um, but it's all from the perspective of this boy who idolizes Batman. And then, like, it's, like, again, like, this deconstruction of the moral, uh, the moral ideology of Batman throughout the story. It's really yeah. brilliant. But, like, yeah. I think that's more of a Busiek thing than anything. I think he likes to deconstruct saviors in his stories, especially in his comics. Yeah, well, it definitely adds, like, a sense of uh, realism to, oh, yeah. to the story. Um, yeah, just the idea of... Just the idea, and I'm, I definitely pick up on this in Autumnlands. The idea mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, nothing ever is, nothing is ever permanently made better. So no, yeah, things 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 go well for a while, and you you resolve conflict, but eventually things are going to go, 
things are going to get bad again. So, mm-hmm. um, well, but, I also you know, like I think, how, yeah, I'll keep going. Sorry. sorry oh no, that's, that. that's okay. I know. I was just going to just wrap up, up that thought by saying like, a, like all of the characters in, in autumn Land seem to have this, this, this idea that, um, once they summon the champion, everything is going to run smoothly. And, that there, there's going to be some sort of uh, return to return to uh, like tradition and how things how things used to be the idea of how things used to be but like clearly that's not the case because that's not how anything ever works in life mm. so um, yeah I just think that uh, he he Bisek did a really great job of kind of conveying that the realism of how like the story is never like it never ends on a good note it's never always going to be like very good there's always going to be struggle and conflict i also like how dusty's sort of an example of that as well that dusty sort of has been living in the clouds literally and figuratively Mm -hmm. oh yeah all his life and he thinks that when the yes so when he comes down to earth you know, that's sort of a reality shock. He loses his dad, who was sort of the one who had rationalized this world to him. And then he has this new, like, embittered, cynical a-hole telling him how the world works. And the guy, the a-hole is new to the world. So, like, you know. Um, but then, so, so you can understand when at the end of this first trade that Dusty doesn't want to blow up the champion. Because he's like, okay, I've lost my dad. I've lost everything. And here's this guy who's finally going to explain to me something. And he's telling me to blow him up. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, you can understand in a child conflicted in that moment being like, ah, oh, this isn't an easy choice. Like I thought when I yeah. was in the clouds, you know, like I dreamt of all this, like the champion being heroic, but never to the point where I have to kill the champion in order to save yeah. everybody, you know, like it's uh it's not an easy choice. It's definitely like, it's such a mature story point to put that on a child in, in Dusty. Yeah. And I like, mean, yeah. yeah, he goes, he goes through so much. He, he, he goes through so much of a, a shift. And I mean, I guess this is really, it's a story about him at the core of it. Just yeah. like his, his growth as a, as a, as a, just an individual living, living life and learning things and maturing. Um, and we're kind of like seeing all of we're, we're seeing everything else kind of play out through his eyes, which is, um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, we're all kind of, we're, we're all just as much in the dark as he is. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. I think that that's a, uh, that's really, that's really cool. Yeah. And I love, I love that it's a dog too. I'm a, I'm a, I love dogs. Yeah. I know Matt's a dog person. Do you yeah. have a dog, Vince? Or are you a dog or animal oh, person at yeah. all? I lo- I, yeah, I love, I love animals and I love dogs. I honestly, <laughs> yeah. like, I, I was really kind of, I, I'm confused as to why it was, it's such a particular kind of dog. An English, like, yes. bull terrier. <laughs> yeah. <They're>, it's <laughs> just like a very strange, strange choice. Um, but yeah. I, I, don't I think know. if I, I could ask Busick or Dewey one thing, I would ask why. Why the yeah. choices of the certain animals? Yeah. And yeah. I, I would really like to pick their brains on that. Yeah. Um, like there is a, there's, there's a deliberate choice here, but I just want to know why. I just, yeah. I can't see it. Um, but at the same time, I love this. Um, what did you guys think of like the relationship that's built between the champion and, uh, and dusty like it is almost like a like there's like there's this mentorship but there is also almost this like man's best friend sort of parallel uh, as well yeah that's interesting yeah um yeah and like I, the champion I, even treats him as a dog like is like scratching his head and stuff like that yeah. at times yeah what, what do you, you guys think of that what do you yeah, think matt yeah he's often like uh uh you know telling him to go go get stuff for him so it's almost yeah. like that <laughs> don't Go, go fetch this for me, you know, yeah. so there's, there's, there's even, even to that extent. So yeah, I can, I can see that. Yeah. But like, but Dusty is just like excited by that. Oh like, yeah. He's, he's like, so he's so like, he's a total dog about that. He's like, yeah, of course yeah. I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of thing. <laughs> well, I, yeah, it's almost, well, it's almost like he, since he does have such, such a like human personality, it, it's like he, he's doing these things because he feels like he's going to learn something by doing mm. it. And, um, but yeah, I definitely, I never really thought about it like that. That's really funny. Um, Cause I almost felt like, I almost felt like he has like the champion almost has like a, 
a, a hesitative relationship as his mentor. Yeah. Like, it's almost just like, oh my God, this, this dog is just like, this guy is just like following me around. So I guess I'll make use of him. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's like, as the story goes, um, you kind of start to see it him trusting him a little bit more and putting yeah, more on him at the definitely. end of this one. But then in the second volume, it, it grows to even something sweeter uh, yeah. by the end of that one. Um, I, my wife actually was the one who pointed out the dog and master relationship when she read it. Oh, um, very cool. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So she was like, she's like, did you notice he's treating him like a dog? And I was like, no, he's a character. And she pointed <laughs> out, like, oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're so right. But there is something like deep there as well. It says something about the champion where he's like, he's such a hardened soldier that he, like you said, Vince, he doesn't want to get close to this guy. Yeah. So I was like, dang it, Rebecca, pointing out something brilliant. <laughs> like, I'm the intellectual here. That kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this, this book. So this trade um comes uh to a conclusion um with a uh with a fight between the champion and seven scars. Um so what do you guys think about the 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 ending of this trade? I felt so bad for the bisons. Me too. <laughs> mm-hmm. I honestly I honestly like just the uh I mean the champion is he is he is a he is he's so heartless. He is. I he, I feel like he's a pragmatist. He's just trying to get back to wherever it is that he came from, and he thinks that he has to help these people in order to do that. So that's what mm. he's doing, and um, he just like mercilessly slaughters like this 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 tribe of of creatures that <laughs> they've just been crapped on for for Mm -hmm. hundreds of years probably and like they finally feel like they get this like moment where they can exact some sort of justice upon like these people that have literally been just treating them like garbage forever and they they just uh just blows up that bridge and (laughs) kills all of them (laughs) yeah i definitely feel really bad for seven scars i i just because he's clearly like just going back to the idea of like what what I know is saying about um, just being educated. Like he's he's not like educated in any sort of traditional sense, but he is smart. But he just doesn't mm-hmm. have like the tools or the the resources to kind of um, do the things that he really wants to do for his people. And yeah, they just kind of get the bad end of the stick. It sucks. It really does. Uh, I love. I do. I. I love everybody's reaction to it. Like everyone has like a, like the bison, uh, uh, Sandorst, yeah. the, the fox, Dusty, yeah. all have the same reaction when they see it. They're like, okay, maybe that was a little too far. That kind yeah. of thing where they were like, yeah. Oh, then, oh, then it even zooms in on all the, the people. They're like, he's like a wild animal, like vicious, vile. Yeah. And then Sandor yeah. says, oh, then, but then Sandor's girl is like, oh, that's pretty clever, actually. <laughs> and, um, but like, even Sandor's at the beginning is like, oh, I wouldn't even go that far. That kind of thing. Like, he's the one who's been, like, stabbing everybody in the back. But even yeah. he thinks twice about committing mass. Like, oh, Goodfoot? Like, yeah, uh, Goodfoot. Yep, Goodfoot. Yeah. And, um, but also Sandor's, they're both kind of like, I don't even know if I'd go that far. Yeah. I'm that kind of thing. Look, I'm looking at that. I'm looking at that panel right now. It just says. Yeah. Uh, we had no idea what just happened. The sound, the ground shaking, we didn't comprehend. Not until we began to hear the screaming. It's yeah. just, like, just like a pile of dead bison. It's yeah. really horrible. Um, yeah. And I, then he's I, so I, flippant. And then he's so flippant about it. The champion. Yeah. He's like, oh, the yeah. guy who had an effing bison army at the base of a cliff, pal. Besides, we never agreed on any. And then, like, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, he just doesn't care. He's like, no, he's like, he doesn't care at all. War. Yeah. Like, this is, this is what I was trained to do. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's just, and it's, it's clear that he's just like, I am, I am taking like the path of least resistance so that I could get to where I need to get to. Yeah. And yeah. And yeah, it's, I have nothing, but I just feel so bad for the bison. Oh <laughs> yeah. Cause they're clearly like, they're clearly the ones that are being marginalized in this story. And Oh yeah. It's really kind of, it's, it's hard to, to read about it. 
to read through it. But. We could talk about like just Matt and I have done this before on this podcast where we'll just talk about a page and I'm looking at this issue, this final issue, and we could talk about any one of these one pages for a whole hour and a half. Episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially the one where it's, uh, it's one, two, three, four pages after um, the one where I was just reading the, like where like the champions being flippant about it and it's him running at the bison with the lightning in the background. Yeah. And those speed lines coming off of his arm. And, oh yeah. Uh, like that is just, that's a cool panel, but also that page is just, it's just so cool. How all the detail in here with the rain falling and it's like splashing down and puddling on the bridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful panel. Yeah. Gosh, honestly, like, I it's it's hard to find a page in this entire trade that isn't just like kind of blowing my mind. Yeah, um, as far as as far as the artwork is concerned, the coloring is just incredible. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, it's so I wouldn't great. mind framing any of this art in my house. Yeah, you know? or yeah, well, especially like the uh, the beginnings of the chapters. Um, oh yeah. Uh, there's there's one in particular. I think it's the one where we're introduced to to Goodfoot. Just the color the color scheme. It's chapter three. Um, yeah. It's it's just like this really awesome like cool uh, teal color um, with this just very vibrant kind of like hunter's like blaze orange. And it's just so it's so minimal, but it's it's just so striking. Yeah, um, I would. I need to go look. I mean, I should probably like when I go to a convention, I might try to find some individual issues. Yeah, I think these are the covers, and then like because like then buy some of those like little issue frames, and I'd, I yeah. would I'd hang them around my house. Yeah, my wife absolutely. loves this artwork, so she wouldn't she wouldn't protest or anything like that either. So. Yeah, and that's actually, unlucky with that. Yeah, some a lot of like a lot of these colors, a lot of the coloring kind of reminds me of Holling, Hollingsworth. Um, yeah especially like the backgrounds like the sky and uh just yeah just like the gradient work in particular but yeah yeah i can see that yeah it's very reminiscent of like uh daredevil when do you think matt yeah i i agree um and it's nice to see uh uh jordy belair do so many uh daytime scenes uh you know uh, so much work on Batman is going to be done with all of those dark yeah. uh, night scenes. So it was nice to get a lot of color in this one. All right. So um, the, and, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no. It was just, it was just a minor, minor thing that I just thought of while I was flipping through this. Uh, uh, the relationship between Garda and the, the giraffe Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just thought that that's, it was, it, it's something that you only see like a few times throughout the trade, but it, it's it's clear that they have some sort of a romantic relationship, and I just think that that's just going back to the idea of like you know everybody's like a weird an, like a, a different animal. So when you see when you see like this tiny little warthog, um, like juxtaposed with this ju- towering giraffe, and they're just like looking lovingly into one another's eyes, and it's just like I don't know, it's really it's a really interesting. It's a really interesting dynamic. Uh, yeah, I like. Um, I did. It's one of the things I, I picked up on my second time through. Pick, picking up on their relationship, yeah. and um, and uh, yeah, it's it's it shows this. Uh, like there is this. Uh, like they don't really say it as like forbidden love or anything like that. Of course, no, you know, no. At least it's not. It's not expressly said. Maybe they'll expound upon it later in the series. I don't know. Yeah, uh, and I guess maybe it also plays to sort of the equality between these races in the sky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they all see themselves as the high intellectuals, so they would never think of breeding with, uh, or like have falling in love with another species because they're all from the same class system and all that stuff. Um, yeah, I like uh, I, I like that little relationship, but also there's this like uh, since they're both like female they were both friends and there's also this like there's this deep relationship that you get just from what little time they have that it's like it's deep because they are clearly like respect each other 
Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. as like individuals who work in magic, but also there is this like uh, deep fondness that's established from early on as well. Yeah. Okay. So uh, why don't we, uh, why don't we do a couple of final thoughts uh, on, on the volume? Um, uh, I know that Noah said that he's read some of the second, uh, second volume, but uh, Vince, why don't you uh, start us off since you're our guest? Uh, sure. Uh, yeah. Um, if you haven't read it, you should. It's, 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 it's so um, engrossing and uh, the artwork is beautiful. The writing is very smart. Um, and the story is just, yeah, it's, it's such a big story. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it just le- like once, once you, once you finish it, you just cannot wait to like dive deeper into this world because it's so big. It's such mm-hmm. a huge, such a huge world. So yeah, I, I definitely recommend uh, picking up the first volume and the second volume. I know that they're currently trying to, it, it's been a while since I don't think that they, 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 I don't think they've released an issue for it in a while, but you should just do yourself a favor and catch up on it. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, I, I concur completely. It's uh, it's, it's just a great series. And once I finished the second volume, it it got better in the second volume. I thought I loved the first volume, mm-hmm. but the second volume, I definitely got to the end and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm like more than on the wagon now. That kind of thing. Like I yeah. want more. That's mm-hmm. that's that's my that's my final thoughts. But what about you, Matt? Yeah, I agree. And they definitely do the uh, the thing where they they uh, at the end of this trade, they definitely hook you and want you uh, want you you want to come back for more. You want to figure out what's going on with the people. You want to figure out what's going on with the world. So it's definitely a, a great book, and uh, I will be I will be going on to the second volume as well. Yeah, definitely. You better. Just <laughs> <laughs> okay so um let's uh let's shift to uh shop talk um vince why don't you uh tell us a little bit about your experience as a comic shop owner uh so my wife and i opened a small a small comic book uh comic book store in harrisonburg virginia about a year and a half ago um we dealt we, we dealt um solely in trades we didn't sell any single issues okay. um, we also sold some board games and some children's book and stuff children's books and stuff but yeah we we uh our main focus was uh trade paperbacks so that's that's definitely an interesting decision um what do you what do you see the role of uh single issues uh in the future do you see them uh going away being digital only um and then the only sort of printed materials we would get would be would be collected volumes do you do you see that as a as a possibility um i mean i think there's always going to be uh a world a world of collectors and i think that's Mm. where i think that's kind of like where uh the single issues kind of fall like that's where they fall into Mm. um so no i don't i don't think that they're ever gonna they're ever gonna go away necessarily um i i think that it's it's harder it's harder to find uh i guess um communities of people that are really really interested in getting singles like especially in smaller towns um i yeah. know like in in big cities like ev- like everybody has a mailbox and like uh, they 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 read they read it from issue to issue so um but like in a small town like in harrisonburg virginia for example a lot of people don't even really have that much of a uh, experience with with reading comic books let alone uh, following a series for years on end by getting uh, one or two issues a month um, mm-hmm. so having having like the trade paperback I think is a more um, inclusive um, way of uh, getting comic books out to people that that way people have have uh, more substance in what they're reading and it makes them want to get more if that makes any sense um, I definitely think that trades are, are becoming more popular now than they have than they've ever been Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. like my wife won't read any single issues and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I, um, I haven't read single, I haven't read single issues since I was uh, like right out of high school. Um, I like collected boxes of them and most of them um, I either lost or just, I haven't looked at in years. <laughs> so. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. My, my son. Who I mean, the is, reason I brought up oh, – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, my son, who's 12, he, uh, he would much prefer a, uh, a collected edition to, to, to a single issue. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I definitely think that there's something about uh, – I don't know. Like whenever, whenever you're reading a book, for example, just like having the weight of something in your hand Mm-hmm. Um, and having like, having like something like something like this, like this trade of autumn lands, it's got this beautiful artwork on the, on the front and it has like this great, like matte finish to it. Um, there's just something about that, um, that single issues just can't really, I, I just don't think it can really, it can really do that for it. It doesn't do it for me in that regard. Um, maybe I think, I think like singles are really cool in regards to like getting, just like the initial artwork on a, on like an issue, like what Noah was saying, like going back and like finding like a single issue of Autumn, Autumn Lands just so that you can like frame it and have it in your house or something, that would be great. But um, as far as like, um, like having something for a long period of time, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I think people, most people don't really want to archive like hundreds of single issues. Um, in boxes when they can just have like 10 issues in a single trade and it's you get a more you get a fuller reading experience from that by having all of those issues combined into one book but yeah it definitely attracts a readership trades do but yeah like uh matt it's matt's more of the collector than i am of single issues but i i can definitely see how it's like Having uh, like I, I find that single issues don't transport as easily as trades either. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I want to read something in like you know on a car ride or like at the doctor's office and stuff like that. Actually, like I bought Autumn Lands originally because I was going on vacation and I wanted yeah. something to read, mm-hmm. and it was perfect for a vacation. But it's all yeah. beat up and stuff like that. But I don't feel bad about it right. because it's well read and like I was able to take it everywhere and it's, it's it's durable whereas like there's this collector's mindset that i have with uh single issues and i'll read them like i still will but like i matt's matt has like ruined it for me where like I, every time i read a single issue like i have to feels like i have to wear gloves and stuff like that and, like, <laughs> to preserve it make sure yeah, that I've, i don't don't for posterity <laughs> make sure the spine's okay afterwards um, yeah i've uh, i've turned him into a condition, condition junkie and there's <laughs> there's been a few times where uh, my wife has gone into the store to pick up a book for me and they've they've given her the they've given her the eye because she she inspects the spine uh, before she, <laughs> yeah before she yeah. Uh, she buys it for me so right um, um, no but I, I I have trades and single issues and I do agree that if I if I have the trade like I'm not as precious about it like I can take it with me if it gets yeah. dinged up I I don't I don't I don't care. Um, uh, if somebody wants to borrow something, I'd be much uh, more willing to to hand them a trade than the than the hand the them, single the yeah, hand of my hand of my <laughs> you know my, my single you know so um, also, and I definitely just, have singles that I've beat up because of how much I've looked at them and I'll find them in like fifty cent bins and stuff like right. that and those aren't as precious to me because I love them so I mean they may have been precious to me down the line and worth millions of dollars but now like I've definitely ruined any chance of that right. um but like I I I do say one thing though about single issues is is that they are as I said they're they're harder to transport if you're going to read them on the road but like I know I'm going to at least two conventions this year. It is like, and I want to get a lot signed by people. It is harder yeah. to get trades signed by people and carry them around all day. Yeah. So I will say single issues are great for conventions. Mm-hmm. If I want to get something signed by somebody and I can um, just put them in my, my, my store folio and carry that around. Yeah. Um, also just, just as a, um, as a store owner, uh, having, having single issues, um, in a market or like in a town where a lot of people don't really buy single issues. If you, yeah. you, you end up compiling, you end up amassing just a ton of them because after like a month, like they're useless essentially. Like people don't want to have them unless, unless you're like a collector in which case mm-hmm. that, that's a completely different story. But most people like if they don't get that issue, like the month that it comes out, 
and they've like they've like moved they've they've moved on from it. So like a lot of a lot of small comic book shops um, run into the problem of having a ton of bag mm. stock that they can't get rid of, and they lose money on it. And so um, yeah, definitely having trades again in that regard kind of it kind of uh, neutralizes that problem because you can have trades forever. Like there there will always be somebody that'll come in be it somebody who's who's been into comics for their entire life or somebody who's just like starting to get into the medium or just wants to pick up something to read on an airplane they'll just like randomly pick it up and be like oh there's there's like 150 pages in this this book with like a, a superhero on it i'll just i'll just get this as opposed to like somebody being like oh this was something that was released like three months ago and it's only 30 pages long like i'm not mm -hmm. gonna get this yeah so, so but yeah yeah i i agree completely um especially now living in harrisonburg going from where matt and matt i used to live where matt lives in in odenton maryland and there okay. we had we had third eye comics which is like the target of comic book stores because we had like millions of people around so yeah. that means like a fraction of those millions of people could support a store like that mm -hmm. but yeah. here we have like only thousands of people around and half of them are jmu students yeah and uh so like yeah there's not really a like we have one little comic book store but that's such a that is the definition of a niche market yeah. um to have like one small comic store and then we had matt's store we had we had vince's vince's store for that's too short of a time, in my opinion. Um, but like Thanks, we no. had, but well, it was it was within walking distance of my house, so I loved it. <laughs> so it was like, but it was, um, so it was it was great to have it while it was around, but it was also encouraging for me because you didn't, um, from what I understand, you didn't close because it was like uh, it was hard to keep up. You, it was just because of um, all uh, just your lives were going, you and your wife's lives were going in different directions. Um, uh, career yeah, wise. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we, we, we. I mean, yeah. My my wife is working. She works full time at JMU at the Arboretum, um, and I started going back to school for my electrician's journeyman. And it was just like we were trying to like run all these events. Mm -hmm. And I was at the shop like six days a week and it was, and I was also working another job on top of that. So it was just kind of like, do we really want to try to uh, throw another like five to 10 years into this to try to make it like our, or like our, our, just our financial like breadwinner or is it, should we like try to do something else? So mm -hmm. that was really, that was, but yeah, I was actually going to say, um, based off of all the research that I have done, especially before we opened the shop, brick and mortar comic book shops are actually doing better now than they have in a really long time. Yeah. Mostly because like these larger chains like Borders, Books a Million and uh, Barnes and Noble, they're, they're, they're all kind of, they're all kind of going to the wayside because of like giant, like inter internet retailers like Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, and they can't, they, they've been struggling to compete with them for, for years and they just can't, they can't seem to like find the winning formula to deal with it. So um, it's leaving a lot of room open for like these more niche, um, shops that people are kind of going into for like a curated experience as opposed to getting, uh, as opposed to just the convenience factor of getting something online. So, yeah. um, yeah. And it works with a town like Harrisonburg because we are sort of that, uh, you know, we have that sort of, uh, classy, I guess, I don't know, not classy, but like we have that, like, uh, a great city to explore especially if you're yeah. parents visiting kids and stuff like that and uh yeah we definitely just... have yeah we have like a renaissance kind of downtown yes scene. that's a yeah. good way of saying it a renaissance way of yeah that's perfect yeah yeah so um yeah yeah and i definitely like i had we had so many just like just awesome customers like noah <laughs> oh, <laughs> that, <no. laughs> that just like every time they came in they like that not only did they know what they wanted they like just love talking about they just love talking about comics and it was just like a very yeah. like friendly kind of community experience to have and i think there are a lot of those kinds of shops um that are springing up all over the place I don't, you live in you said Odenville, maryland yeah uh i work in washington dc but i uh i live in the odenton annapolis area so yeah 
yeah like there's a there's a there's a couple of really great uh comic book shops in baltimore um that are it's kind of like the same sort of setup where like everybody that works there is like very friendly everybody like kind of knows like how, where to guide you if you're like looking for something in particular and like you don't mind waiting on if they don't have something in the shop you don't mind waiting like two weeks to get something from them just because you're establishing like a very good uh, uh like close-knit kind of relationship not only with the the store itself but with the people that that run the store mm-hmm. so oh yeah yeah and it makes it, it you know and uh third eye in annapolis which is where i was which is the place i i regular uh had the same sort of like business philosophy where they were like this is a place where like all of the employees like you vince were like we want to start a conversation with the customer about comics yeah you know that kind of thing and like we want them to return not just for the comics but because they had they get the conversations that they wouldn't get in the workplace at home yeah. that kind of thing about this like this art form that we're all so passionate mm-hmm. about and uh i've not I guess I don't frequent Phantom as much as you do, Matt, but is it sort of similar there as well? Yeah, uh, I've been going to Phantom for, for, for a while. Um, I, I, can, I can walk there or take a quick uh, Metro ride, and it definitely is. I've, I have a number of friendships with, with guys and girls who have, have worked there. Some have moved on, and, and I'm still friends with them. Uh, they do cool things like events, uh, workshops, uh so definitely it's the there's a little bit of that uh wednesday popping in uh to to talk with with your friends there and 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 talk to them about their opinions on on the book so uh yeah definitely yeah just having and just having like serious like serious intellectual opinions on like these stories i think it's really I think it's really cool. And I think a lot of people that read these books, like really want to have those kinds of conversations because it's a, it's a very serious medium and um, it's nice to find uh, people who take it very seriously. Yeah. And I mean, my wife was surprised when she picked up witches for the first time, because that was her first like, Oh wow. Comics aren't just superhero stuff. Yeah. And I, I had another experience with that with a friend out of high school and actually the book she picked up and realized that was autumn Land. And she yeah. was like, holy crap, this isn't, it's not just all superhero stuff. There's this like really complex world that you can explore through comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, that's why we started this podcast is so that we can talk about that. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, I think it pays off because I get to talk, I get to have this outlet where I can nerd out about uh, <laughs> an art form that I'm very passionate about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So, um, does anybody have any uh, any last thoughts on uh, the the comic industry, uh, comic book shops, or anything as we, as we bring this to a close? Noah. Oh, I was just gonna say. You know, I think I think a lot of people start try to look at uh, like you know movies and like TV shows as being the reason why comics are coming making a comeback and stuff like that. But I really think it is the reason why, I mean, I hope it's the reason why we were talking about it tonight. Like, I really hope it's the, it's the conversations that are being started up and like realizing that we're all not just, all us comic book nerds aren't just guys who live in our parents' basements and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. You know, we're actually pretty friendly people and, uh, or intellectual people who enjoy. Not to say anything bad about people who live in their parents' basements. Oh, I have, I have a lot of friends who do. Just kidding. Um, but like, I like, I, I've, I've rarely found that to be a true stereotype. That's the thing is that like, mm-hmm. it's sort of, it's breaking the mold of the typical stereotype, you know? Yeah. It's just and, like this uh, ubiquitous thing that kind of like everybody is sort of into on some, on some level now. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's not, yeah, it's not just superheroes, you know, not, it's not superheroes cause I love them, but like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not just superheroes. It's something for everybody. Yeah. So, and I, I would like to, I would like to say that that's the reason why comics are making a comeback more so than like Captain Marvel or the Avengers or something like that. 
Um, but the, I, Marvel, I, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, as being the reason why the, that comics are coming back. But like, <laughs> yeah, why people like comics now. Yeah, I would, I yeah. would hope it's more than that. So that's my yeah. thing. That's my takeaway about the comics industry. I don't, I don't know about you, Vince, or Matt, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with, with your sentiment. Um, yeah, uh, I definitely think that movies, I definitely think movies and television have done a lot for uh, kind of introducing people who have been completely uh, unfamiliar with it um, to the world of comics. But I think that, yeah, I think there are a lot of different variables as to why comics are more popular now than they've probably ever been. Uh, yeah. Uh, a lot of it has to do with, you know, just with interconnectivity through the internet and mm. um, yeah, just people are closer to one another now. So ideas are more freely shared so um yeah i think i definitely think it's a it's a it's a it's a mix between uh exposure in different mediums such as movies and television and also just the general the general uh kind of connection that people now have 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 with one another now yeah definitely yeah okay um so uh vince if you want to why don't you um let people know where they can um find you uh online um <laughs> it's kind of hard to find me online i, I don't really <laughs> have i don't really have much of a social media presence anymore um, okay uh oof. yeah I, i'm sorry i wish no I, no that's I that's, I that's information no that's that's perfectly fine <laughs> well um, i do want to we do want to have you back on and talk art sometime because you are oh, some of an to. artist too yeah. right aren't you yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, to talk, maybe we can have an episode where we talk art supplies or something like that, or <laughs> how we like to draw. That would be great. Cause Matt's an artist as well. Uh, oh, so cool. yeah. Str- struggling. Uh, yeah. Well, Hey, we all, aren't are. we all? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it would be cool to, yeah, we all need to talk art sometime. No, yeah, I, w- I would like that. Okay. Uh, well, I'd like to uh, thank everybody uh, for, for listening. Uh, if you want to give us a follow on our social media, we are on Twitter. We are at Construct Com Pod. Uh, we're on Instagram at Constructing Comics Pod. And we are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Constructing Comics. And on those uh, sites, I'll put up various images from Autumn Lands. Uh, uh, for folks to check out and hopefully based on what we've talked about and some of those images we can get a uh, get a few more fans and a few more folks to check out this book so we will be back with a, another episode and i'd like to thank everybody for giving us a listen bye see you later <laughs>